exists to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. God, lift our eyes to see the moments in life that invite us into extravagant living, extravagant care, extravagant goodness. In Christ's name, amen. And please be seated. During the four weeks of Advent, we are in a new sermon series titled An Advent of Womanist Vision. Womanist theology is a form of reflection that places the religious and moral perspective of women at the center of its method, and it intentionally engages theological problems such as class, gender, and race. Furthermore, womanist theology reimagines old religious language and symbols in order to give them depth and texture and relevance for today. This sermon series is therefore highlighting women in the biblical account throughout the life of Jesus, primarily during the day surrounding his birth. And this series is elevating their individual experiences and perspectives, which we hope will shine Advent light into the darkness that is quite often lost in Christian imagination. So far, we've looked at Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, and last week, Mary, mother of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to go beyond Jesus' birth to his adult life by considering the spectacular woman, Mary of Bethany. I'd like to begin with a quote that speaks to a human ache. The quote is by Elwin Brooke White, often referred to as E.B. White. E.B. White's the famous author known for writing the cherished children's books, such as Stuart Little and Charlotte's Web. Here's his quote. I arise in the morning torn between a desire to improve the world and a desire to enjoy the world. This makes it hard to plan the day. That's good, right? Have you ever felt this tension? I arise in the morning torn between a desire to improve the world and a desire to enjoy the world. This makes it hard to plan the day. I mean, on the one hand, there is much to do. Much change is needed, and many people need help. And then on the other hand, life is so short, so short, that every moment is almost too holy to hold back from giving ourselves completely to it in all of its goodness. And so, like our first scripture reading this morning, ten bridesmaids are divided in half. Five were told were wise, and the other five were told were foolish. And in the parable, the only difference is that the foolish bridesmaids used up all of their oil, while the wise bridesmaids saved up all of their oil. And so the parable seems to declare, save. Save, 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 and pinch your pennies. Live your life from a place of scarcity, because you never know when you'll need to draw on your reserves. 
But then there's our second reading in which a nameless woman enters into Simon the leper's house, breaks open an alabaster jar of costly perfume, and lavishly pours it over Jesus' head. The disciples witnessed this and they were angry, saying, why this waste? For this ointment could have been sold for a large sum and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? She's performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. By pouring this ointment on my body, she's prepared me for burial. And truly, I tell you, wherever this good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. And so, this story seems to declare that there are moments in life which it is, which it is not time to pinch your pennies. No. Much the opposite, in fact. Break open the piggy bank and spend all that you have and give all that you are in the moment. And so E.B. White despondently states, I arise in the morning torn between a desire to improve the world and a desire to enjoy the world. This makes it hard to plan the day. What are we to do? Save it all or give it all away. Pinch or break open. Hold back or completely pour ourselves out. In the story about the nameless woman who breaks open the alabaster jar of costly ointment and lavishly pours it over Jesus, we're told that the disciples were angry. The word being used here for angry can also mean indignant. The disciples were indignant because they were busy thinking about all of the ways in which the money could have been used to help the poor. That's the context for their anger. Now, we're not sure how much the perfume was worth, but scholars point to the language and the historical expense of nard and say that this was very easily, very easily a small fortune. Perhaps a family heirloom of great worth passed down from generation to generation to generation. And so in this story, a nameless woman enters in, breaks open a very costly ointment of nard, and in the midst of the disciples thinking about all of the good that they want to do in the world, this woman generously, lavishly pours it upon Jesus' head. And the people concerned about doing good, well, they witness this extravagant act and declare wrong, foolish, perhaps even evil. But then Jesus says, leave her alone. She's done something wonderfully good. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, wherever this good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. What an incredible story. And I think a relevant story. I mean, 2021 and, and honestly, 2020, and we could probably go back another year or two before that, these have been difficult years. Life has been hard. So much so that I'm pretty sure that at one point or another, we've all probably felt the scarcity in life. Uh, scarce toilet paper, amen? <laughs> scarce supply chain. For being really honest, scarce life as a pandemic rages on. So much scarcity that it can shorten our breath and constrict our hearts. I felt that. So much scarcity that it can shrivel generosity and shut us up our lives up into these little rooms of worry about tomorrow. And then Jesus, Jesus elevates this nameless woman to say, see, see this, see her. There's something about this woman in which we get a glimpse into the very heart of the gospel. This woman is the declaration of good news. 
and her act of extravagance will be told wherever the gospel is proclaimed throughout the entire world. What are we to do? I arise in the morning torn between a desire to improve the world and a desire to enjoy the world. This makes it hard to plan the day. Save it all or give it all away. Pinch or break open. Hold back or pour it all out. At this point, I'd like to have the monitors queued so that we can look at a flow chart and wisely discern. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) If only life was so simple, right? If only we could just so easily know exactly what to do to, to, to hoard or to give, to save or to generously pour out. But life's not like that. It's murky. Uh, the lens through which we discern how to behave is often opaque. And it's here in the daily murkiness of our lives that womanist theology sings its song. And so rather than some kind of flow chart, I'd like to set this nameless woman beside a couple other characters to be able to see what we might learn from her. And the first character that I'd like to set beside this nameless woman is Judas Iscariot. In the Gospel of John, chapter 12, we read the same story about this woman, uh, but we get some extra details. And one of those extra details reads, She took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold and the money given to the poor? Now, listen to this bit of information. John writes, he, Judas, said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Isn't that interesting? According to John's rendering of this story, Judas is not actually trying to be like the five wise bridesmaids who are saving their oil for the appropriate time. Much the opposite. Based on this bit of information, there would have never been an appropriate time to spend what's been saved because Judas was hoarding all of the resources to himself. And this, I think, is an interesting idea for us to consider because piety is a very religious word. Piety is an admired word. Piety is a notion that we must very carefully use our resources for good. We must obey all of the rules, and it often causes us to be uptight about how we live here and now. And similar to Judas, it can even sound good. Like, oh, this extravagance is a waste. It could have been spent on X. Like, you you name the cause. And of course, if there is an X that we plan to extravagantly pour ourselves out toward, then we'd actually be like the nameless woman, not Judas. But you see, Judas is not withholding because he actually plans to extravagantly give. Rather, he's withholding because he wants to extravagantly consume. I remember when I was in elementary school, probably about 10 years old, and it was about this time of the year, so a week left of of grade school before holiday break, and my mom gave me $3 for Santa's workshop. And she said, get your dad something wonderful. And so I walked to school with that money just burning a hole in my pocket. In all first period, second period, you know, I'm just waiting for Santa's workshop, and finally I get to go, and into Santa's workshop I go, and I'm, I'm looking at this section of, of things that you could maybe get for your parents. And the next thing for parents is this thing that you might be able to get for your siblings. 
And, and, and there on the table was not two, but one, one silver sparkling Michael Jackson glove. <laughs> and it was $3. And it was an elixir, I tell you what. The gods were saying to me, Mike, buy that glove. <laughs> and so I pulled out my money and I grabbed that one silver glove and I took it to the counter and I paid for it and I strapped that thing on and I danced back to class. <laughs> And then as the day was progressing, I realized that my mom was going to ask what I got dad at Santa's workshop. <laughs> and so I got a rock and I painted it. And I put on it paperweight. And that's what I gave my dad for Christmas that year. <laughs> to be clear, I don't tell this story because I think anyone here is behaving like my 10-year-old self. But I do think it's a helpful metaphor that gets at the difference between this nameless woman and Judas. That is to say, when we give rocks so that we can have sparkly gloves, piety is merely a smokescreen for consumption, not forthcoming extravagance. And so, perhaps we benefit by asking ourselves some questions like, what am I really saving this for? Like, what am I really saving it for? What am I protecting this time for? What am I really protecting it for? What am I keeping this money for? What am I holding back this energy for? Because you see, in womanist theology, there is very rarely a future extravagance. In womanist theology, there is only today's scarcity that demands all of the generosity that we can muster. And so here we are at the end of two very difficult years. Life has been hard, so much so that I'm pretty sure that at one point or another, we've all felt the scarcity in life. Scarce toilet paper, scarce supply chain, scarce life as a pandemic rages on. So much scarcity that it can shorten our breath and constrict our hearts. So much scarcity that it can shrivel generosity and shut up our lives in little rooms of worry about tomorrow. And all the while, our nameless hero stands like an eternal flame beckoning, come and follow after me. Because it is good, so wonderfully good to extravagantly break open and give yourself away. And this brings me to a second person, just for a moment, that I'd like to set beside this nameless woman, and her name is Martha. Because you see, in the Gospel of John, this nameless woman isn't actually nameless. In John's telling of this story, she is Mary of Bethany. This woman who breaks open the nard is sister of Lazarus and Martha. And from John chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, we read, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, home of Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. And Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, wiped them with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, to be clear, I'm not going to bash on Martha here. Many of you probably know that, that Martha has somewhat of a stained reputation, right? Because back in uh, Luke chapter 10, Jesus is in her home talking, and everyone, her sister Mary included, they were all sitting around listening to Jesus, but Martha, we're told, was distracted by her many tasks. And after a while, she began to feel agitated, and she said to Jesus, Lord, don't you care? Will you please tell my sister that she has left me to do all this work by myself? And Jesus responded, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. 
I love this story because it feels so relevant to our lives today. At least I find it relevant to my life. Over the last two years, I've noticed about myself that I've grown incredibly distracted. Maybe you have too. I mean, so much is going on. And so often throughout a day, I find myself just absolutely buzzing. Check my email, check my text, check my news feeds. Think, mind spinning, worry, worry, worry. Take a breath, do it again. Check my email, check my text, check my news feeds. Think, mind spinning, worry, worry, worry. And so a few months ago, it was one of those delightful summer months in August. We were on a family hike. Jen, my precious lifelong partner, who I love more than anything, she was on the hike. And Asher, just a couple more years in our home before he's off in the world, he was on the hike. My quickly growing Phoebe and Miles, they were on the hike, and I was with them like I was walking with them. And they were telling stories and asking about things, and I was there, and at times I was even talking. I can remember actually saying things. I can't tell you what I, what I said, but I was kind of interacting. But you know what? I was not there. I was not there with my family on that hike. And I wish I could tell you that was abnormal, but it really wasn't. In fact, it was very reflective of what I had become. I had become a worried and distracted human. And do you know what I've learned? I've learned that worried and distracted humans cannot be extravagantly present to their lives. It is impossible. And so there I was with my precious family, my precious Jen, my precious Asher and Phoebe and Miles, and I had nothing to give them. My heart, my mind, my ears, my hike were penned up like a prison that no person could penetrate. You see, worried and distracted humans cannot be extravagantly present to their lives, let alone to the lives of others. Yet all the while as we check our email and check our texts and check our news feeds, think, mind spinning, worry, worry, worry. The very people who matter most, which is to say whoever it is that's right in front of us because they're the only people with us in the moment. And the very moment that matters most, which is to say the only moment that we're in because that's our only moment. These people in moments do not receive our extravagance because our extravagance is all going toward that which is distracting and worrisome. And all the while, womanist theology cries out, you cannot count on tomorrow. Tomorrow is promised to no one. There is but today with those who are around you whoever they are. Oh, and Mary, glorious Mary of Bethany, while Judas schemes and Martha worries, this woman, she sees, she actually sees the Jesus who is before her. And in her knowing, she did exactly what the moment required. She broke open her small fortune and extravagantly poured it all out every last drop. And Jesus... Well, Jesus declares she's done something wonderfully good. Truly, I tell you, wherever this good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Last year, Mindy was sharing in a sermon about our divine mother. You might remember that sermon series and, and her particular sermon. And as she talked about God as our divine mother, for me, a whole world opened up in my heart that allowed me to ponder ways in which my own mom expressed divinity to me. 
Many of you know I'm part of a large family, such a large family that it seemed like somebody was always sick, sick and in need of support. And growing up, besides the usual sickness, I would often get strep throat. And I don't know if you've ever had strep throat, but especially as a child, it is the worst thing you can possibly imagine. It feels like there are knives in your throat, and when you swallow, you think it would be better to be dead. I just hated it. Tired, hungry, overwhelmed, and in pain, my mom would come and sit on my bed. She'd touch my face with her warm hands, and she would say to me with tears in her eyes, if I could be sick for you and make this go away, I would. And I think she meant it because my kids are often sick and I want to say that and I can't. <laughs> she meant it. I could feel it in my soul. And I'm beginning to realize that moments like those were gospel moments for me. Moments of generosity in the midst of suffering. Moments of generosity in the midst of all of the worries of this world. And that, I believe, is Mary of Bethany breaking into our stories. That's it. That's the heart of the divine made manifest in our lives through imperfect mothering. And to be clear, the story of Mary is not told to make any of us feel miserable about how fear and worry cause our hearts to contract, which is really very normal. Instead, I think it's meant to elevate our vision, to lift our gaze, to raise our heads from all that is raging around us, tempting us to constrict our hearts, so that we might see the goodness of continuing to over and over again break open our jars of nard. Whatever those jars may be, and to extravagantly pour them out over those who are around us. May we, especially in our fears and worries and pandemic fatigue, see this ageless woman of extravagant generosity. And as a community of faith that follows in Jesus who proclaims a good gospel, May we follow in her divine footsteps. And let us pray. God, lift our eyes to see the moments in life that invite us into extravagant living. God, break open our constricted hearts. Work joy into our worry. Work peace into our stress that we might be present to this moment now and be a gift to everyone around us. We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.